Twitter is dropping SMS 2FA for free users. Apple and Google have some updates, supermarkets have data on you, and JMP is leaving beta, and a lot more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 122, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I am Henry from TechLore, a little sick, but present, because I'm always here. <laughs> I am Nathan from The New Oil, and I'm never here. Wait, was that my line or your line? <laughs> um, so this week... We have our promo segment, as always, patreon.com slash surveillance pod. You can support us on Patreon to keep this podcast going for free to the world. You also get a lot of cool perks if you do that, like an extended version where we rant a lot more and have a lot more details on some of the stories that we don't publish in the public version. And we also remove segments like these. We also have a Q&A that you can enter, which uh, will be found later in this episode. But you will be able to ask questions if you are on our Patreon and if you don't like Patreon, which is very valid, we also support LibraPay, and we also support Monero. Monero is a very private way of supporting us, though we cannot offer you any perks, just like LibraPay, and Monero is probably the most private method that we offer. So if you want to support us privately, check out Monero, and all of those will be down in the description. We appreciate all of your support. Before diving into the highlight story, there was a quick fix from last week. Um, some of you rightfully acknowledged that uh, the Samsung bloatware story, we talked about how um, they found that Samsung's Samsung bloatware takes up like half the storage on Samsung devices at this point. Um, yes, this does happen, but it turns out a lot of this is due to a system reserved partition to prevent damage and extend the life of the phone. With that said, um, I still think that sucks. <laughs> so I still think that the fact that you only have half the storage available on a 128 gigabyte device is pretty crappy, but there is a little bit more nuance there behind what the, what the actual uh, storage is used for. Okay, with that, we'll jump into our highlight story, which is about Twitter doing away with SMS two-factor. Uh, the headline of this particular particular article, which I think comes from TechCrunch, says how to keep Twitter secure without giving Elon Musk any money. The important thing to note here is SMS two-factor is being paywalled, but from what we can tell, all other forms of two-factor are unaffected. So you can still use TOTP, which is the little app that generates the code for those who don't know. You can still use a hardware token such as a Libra key or a solo key or nitro key. I'm going to assume they're doing this because SMS is the most common, but SMS for those who don't know is actually so insecure that it's not really like it is technically an improvement from not having two factor, but not by much. Uh, you shouldn't really trust Twitter with your phone number anyways, because in the past they said they were only going to use it for two FA and then Turns out they used it for marketing. It, granted, that was under a different management. Yeah, so they're charging you for garbage security that they've abused in the past and you shouldn't be using anyways. If you want to support Twitter, go ahead and pay for it. But either way, I think you should be using TOTP or hardware token, regardless of whether you pay or not. And the good news is those two are available even if you're free. Yeah, I think it's funny because you can't pay me to use SMS 2FA. So yeah, I don't right? know why why I would pay for it. I use uh, it begrudgingly. If I sign, I, I literally do. If I sign up for a website and I go to activate two-factor and it's like, you have SMS or you have nothing. I literally sit there for a minute and I'm like, how much do I care about this account? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for context, um, I, I don't think that this is just because they're trying to paywall it. I think that it's because they have to actually spend money on each text that yeah. they send. So there's actually a business expense here for SMS 2FA, and they're probably trying to offset it by paid users. I saw so that on my uh, guess. Mastodon. Somebody made a joke that it's like the richest man in the world just saw the Twilio bill and had a heart <laughs> attack. 
Pretty much. Like, that's probably what it is. Um, and so that's probably why they're now having this only for paid users. But at the same time, I don't know why anyone would want to use SMS 2FA in the first place. So I'm surprised I didn't just phase it out altogether and just stick with TOTP because TOTP is pretty universal. Like a hardware token only configuration would kind of suck because then people have to buy um, hardware tokens. But nowadays, like, phones have passkey support. So I don't know. Let's go ahead and migrate to data breaches. And we're going to start with Pepsi. Bottling Ventures suffers data breach after a malware attack. So this exposure occurred between December 23rd and January 19th. It impacted full names, home addresses, financial account informations, which included passwords, pins, and access numbers, government-issued ID numbers, ID cards, social security numbers, passport information, digital signatures, and benefits information, presumably of employees. Pretty much everything there is to know about you. Our next uh, data breach, this one actually kind of made the headlines. It's healthcare giant CHS, which is Community Health Systems, reports first data breach in Go Anywhere hacks. The data of 1 million patients was affected, but it is unclear what data was stolen. Clop Ransomware took credit, but has not provided any proof. So we'll keep you updated as we hear more about that. Atlasian says recent data leak stems from third-party vendor hack. So the company says network and customer information are secure, but attackers are offering the data on Telegram, claiming claiming it contains building floor plans, employee email addresses, phone numbers, names, and much more. Analysis suggests the data came from a third-party vendor, Envoy, which is used to coordinate in-office functions. Envoy is debating this, though, and claiming Atlasian was breached and the data was stolen, and the data was stolen from their side. So we now have two companies pointing fingers at each other. Uh, so I guess we'll probably get an update to that one. So stay subscribed. Scandinavian Airlines says cyber attack caused passenger data leak. I'm going to quote the article here. The cyber attack caused some form of malfunctions on the airline's online system, causing passenger data to become visible to other passengers. This data includes contact details, previous and upcoming flights, as well as the last four digits of the credit card number, unquote. So the attack appears to have been politically motivated in response to a group of protesters who burned a copy of the Koran in front of the Turkish embassy in Stockholm in protest to Turkey's objection of Sweden, Sweden's NATO membership bid. The FBI FBI is investigating a cybersecurity incident on its network. It impacted the New York field office computer system used to investigate child sexual exploitation. That's it. And our final data breach of the week, GoDaddy says cybercriminals stole source code, installed malware in multi-year breach. Quoting the article, web hosting giant GoDaddy says it suffered a breach where unknown attackers have stolen source code and installed malware on its servers after breaching its cPanel shared hosting environment in a multi-year attack. The company says that the previous breaches disclosed in November of 2020, November of 2021 and March of 2020 are also linked to this multi-year campaign, unquote. So the November 2021 incident that they're talking about led to a data breach affecting 1.2 million managed WordPress customers, and the March 2020 breach affected 28,000 web hosting customers, and the article has more details on all of that if you are interested. But if you are a GoDaddy customer, definitely check that out and um, take any sort of uh, recommended... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Remedial actions, if needed. And now the companies. So we're going to start with Google, who started beta testing its rebrand of interest-based ad targeting on Android. This is that privacy sandbox, which was previously Flock, uh, which we've talked about at length in the past. So a small percentage of eligible Android 13 devices will be enrolled in the trial of the beta from today as the ad tech giant starts a gradual, but it says global rollout of the beta, which will expand over time. Ad partners include Yahoo, mobile games maker Rovio, Walt, Unity Game Engine, and mobile marketing platforms AppsFlyer, Mobi Exchange, and Adjust. Google claims that if your device is selected for the beta, you'll get a notification letting you know. 
users in the EU, UK, and Switzerland can opt out, but not anywhere else. Again, federal privacy regulation would be awesome to have around here. If you are opted into this, you can go to your settings and search for privacy sandbox, and you should be able to opt out there. I'm not sure if that's just for EU, UK, and Switzerland, or if that's for everybody. I went ahead and did a search and nothing popped up, so I'm assuming I'm not opted in. But just uh, keep an eye on that, I guess. Our next story comes from Apple, where it says, Apple fixes new WebKit zero-day exploited to hack iPhones and Macs. Quoting the article, the zero-day patch today is tracked as CVE 2023-23529 and is a WebKit confusion issue that could be exploited to trigger OS crashes and gain execution on on compromised devices. Successful exploitation enables attackers to execute arbitrary code on devices running vulnerable iOS, iPadOS, and macOS versions after opening a malicious web page. And the bug also impacts Safari 16.3.1 on macOS Big Sur and Monterey, unquote. Um, so this is patched. Moral here is to enable automatic updates, keep your devices updated. It's also worth noting you had to open a malicious web page. So yeah, always be careful of links that you're not completely 100% positive of. So we didn't put notes for this, so this is going to be kind of off the top of my head, but Apple just released 16.4 beta, which now has much better progressive web app support. What this means is now you can get notifications for web apps. So let's say you use Todoist. Todoist is like a to-do program. Um, you can now use the web app and install it and add it to your home screen. This only works for apps you add to your home screen. So if you go to a random website, they can't start sending you push notifications. You have to add it to your home screen. And then once it's on your home screen, then you can get notifications for web apps. Um, This is pretty massive because this means that like so many apps that we utilize on iPhones are really just because you have to get notified for them. And so like for... Web apps, this is now a really big entry point for web apps to be able to flourish a little bit better on iOS, which is really exciting. Something else that's added, uh, you will get notification badge counts also for your Hmm. web apps. So behave exactly like an app at that point. Yeah, and even better, it will support focus modes. So it will integrate with (laughs) Apple's focus settings, like do not disturb and any other focus settings that you develop. So this is really cool. It will behave exactly like an app, but it will be better for your privacy. That's awesome. Exactly. And anyone who knows me knows I'm always, like, I only use web apps when I can. Like, I almost always avoid, like, installing anything on my phones. Everything's a web app. Note-taking, web app. Duolingo, web app. Dating, web app. Everything's a web app. Can't stand apps. <laughs> so our next story, are this is actually our last Apple story, and this is an update to a previous story. Apple says Maps privacy bug didn't affect iPhone, denies the apps use location data without consent. This is in response to, I think it was two weeks ago, we covered a story about how iOS, uh, what is it, like 16.3 had just dropped or 16.3.1, something like that. And it fixed a bug where apps were able to access location data via the Maps app, the stock Maps app. Uh, even if you never gave them permission. Quoting the article, in a statement to 9to5Mac on Friday, Apple clarified that iPhone users were never, quote, were never at risk because of this vulnerability. The company also refuted a report that said a Brazilian food delivery app was accessing user location without permission in iOS 16.2. Apple says that the Maps vulnerability patch last week could only be exploited from unsandboxed apps on macOS. The fix was included in all of Apple's software updates last week simply because that code base is shared by iOS and iPadOS, tvOS, and watchOS as well, unquote. Try to keep as few apps as possible on your phone. Use iFood as a PWA in the future. <laughs> yeah, I hope they support that. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, something. By the way, this is so cool. I'm just thinking, I'm sorry to go back to PWAs. Uber, Uber has a progressive web app you can use on your phone. So you can like order Ubers and stuff without the app. You can use it in the web browser. But that would like, be imagine, amazing. Imagine adding with this now, like you can get notified for your rides and everything without needing the Uber app. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, I'm next. Okay, so Microsoft outlines official support for Windows 11 on Mac with Apple Silicon. 
it's not as exciting as it sounds. So you can use virtualization, such as Parallels Desktop, or the cloud with Windows 365. Um, that's kind of it for those who... Th- this has been a thing. This isn't actually anything different. It's just Microsoft is formally coming forward. Like, I've been using Windows 11 on Parallels forever now on an, an Apple Silicon device. Uh, so they're just now coming forward with this formal PSA of how to do it. This isn't like Bandcamp, which is like... Discon- is it Bandcamp? Bootcamp. Bootcamp, thank you. Not That's a different thing. <laughs> um Um, No, bootcamp, that's not a thing anymore, so you can't actually use Windows 11 on Mac with Apple Silicon natively, though there is a project, uh, for those interested who want to look into it, called Asahi Linux. Um, So Asahi Linux is a way to run, like, native Linux on Apple Silicon, but I do believe it's in alpha last I checked, uh, but that is a way to try to natively run something that's not macOS on an Apple Silicon device. So there you go. Henry, once again, giving me all the uh, politically charged stories says discover to enable tracking of purchases at gun retailers starting in April. So quoting the article, the decision came after the international organization for standards or ISO, which decides on the classification of merchant categories used by payment cards approved in September, the launch of a dedicated code for gun retailers. And this rings a bell. I know we covered this on a previous surveillance report, but I'm not sure which one for the record. Um, Discover said it will include the new code in its next policy and update uh, product up and product update to merchants and payment partners in April. Um, I think that uh, for for people who are on Patreon, they probably heard some some gun stuff there. Um, but to, for the for the public who don't get the special patron exclusive things that we talk about, um, I actually don't think that this issue is like specific to guns. Like, I, I think that I'm more concerned about just the whole premise of uh, companies like Discover having these tracking codes for anything you purchase. I don't know why this would be different. Is there is there a medical code at all? Like. Do people care that these companies are tracking what they're buying at medical institutions? Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm asking the question here because I think this is what I brought up last time we covered the story um, when it was first when they first introduced this code for gun retailers. It's not a, an issue specific to guns. It's just people with guns think that this is like step one of taking the guns away. I don't think this is actually coming from a privacy concern from these people because I don't see how from a privacy angle this is different from them tracking literally any other purchases. So. Um, that's my privacy angle to this story here. I am now trying to see what all the merchant category codes are, trying to look for any sensitive ones. So, I mean, we got some obvious like asphalt, publishing and printing, railways, ambulance services, boat rentals, airports, travel, tolls, telecommunication, computer network and information services, money transfers. Yep. Medical, dental, op. Thalmic and hospital equipment and supplies. Okay. So slightly different. Drugs, drug per proprietaries and druggist sundries so medication i'm assuming books home supply yeah i mean there's definitely some stuff in here that i would imagine is could potentially be sensitive so yeah no i think that's a a very fair argument i mean i i think guns are are a controversial application of this but at the end of the day i think there's plenty of other applications that are not necessarily controversial that still exist. And I don't think that's necessary. Here we go. Religious goods, financial institutions, automated cash disbursements, manual cash disbursements. I think it's more likely that this is just them trying to track things like they're tracking everything else. Um, And maybe this might be used for regulation someday. That's always a possibility. We can't guarantee that, which is why I'm just simply opposed to this whole system in the first place, which is why we encourage uh, more private forms of payment when you can. Cash is still great. Things like Monero are great. There's now ways to use Monero um, at some retailers via gift cards. There's CakePay via something like Cake Wallet. There's also uh, coin cards, I believe, as well, which you can pay mm-hmm. with Monero. 
And you also can use services like privacy.com. I'm actually in the privacy.com beta to be able to use privacy.com inside Apple Wallet and Google Pay. So I can actually go to physical retailers now in Dude, real life. Dude, how do I sign up for that? That's amazing. Yeah, I, I there was a beta that you could sign up for like months ago, and I put my name in there, and I, I got in. Uh, it was just a public beta. I'm not getting like special treatment or anything. Um, Damn, so I yeah, I've, yeah, I've been using that, and I actually just extended the beta because it was doing so well. So um, that's really nice. So those are all some options to throw your way. Hopefully, that becomes just public soon. So hopefully, everyone gets access to that privacy.com thing. So I'm I'm almost at the end of these codes, but uh, the fun stuff starts around the eight thousands. First of all, we have seven nine nine seven membership clubs, country clubs, and private golf courses, so we can track the rich people. And then starting in the 8,000s, we have doctors and physicians not elsewhere classified, dentists and orthodontists, osteopaths, chiropractors, blah, 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 uh, podiatrists, nursing, hospitals, medical, uh, elementary and secondary schools, colleges, business schools, vocational schools, childcare services, civic, social, and fraternal associations, political organizations, 8651, 8661, religious organizations. So yeah, you're right. This is like already incredibly problematic from a privacy perspective, even before they got guns involved. 9223, bail and bond payments. How much you want to bet before that starts getting used on your social score? This is good, man. Just look up uh, merchant category codes and y'all, it was, uh, this one comes from docs.checkout.com and, uh, but it looks like there's one from Citibank. So yeah, that's a fun little rabbit hole. All right. So the next one, how does tile, how does tiles anti-theft mode work? Tiles, that little thing you attach to your keys or your wallet or whatever, or apparently your, your dog or something. Um, but when using the scan and secure feature, you're able to scan for and detect tile trackers and tile enabled devices near you. As long as you have the latest version of the tile app on your mobile device, you can use this feature, even if you don't have an active tile account. Tiles anti-theft mode lets you hide your tiles from scans made by others, making them invisible to those around you. Why is this important? If a thief uses scan and secure, they they cannot detect those tiles on or in your tracked possessions, increasing the chances of you being able to recover your stolen item. The article makes no mention of protections against using the, the device to track people, other than saying your data may be turned over to law enforcement in such a case. And as uh, Ava from the EFF points out, this is now a new avenue for abusers to stalk their victims. I did loosely read that there are some things you have to, like, agree to that seemed a little bit more strict to turn this on. I mean, it did definitely – the article says you do have to agree to some additional terms and conditions, which it says are, like, strict. And I saw one headline that says, like, it's like a $1 million fine if you abuse it. But I – the impression I got from this article was that all hinges on someone actually like coming forward and proving like there's no actual defense if you're the victim of this kind of tracking, which is really what I have an issue with. Okay, with that, we'll move into our research section. And the first article comes from the markup. Um, it's not really news to most of us, but it's one of those pieces that's really good to share with your friends and family. The title says, forget milk and eggs. Supermarkets are having a fire sale on data about you. So this article mostly focuses on the uh, grocery store Kroger. It it covers a wide range of ways that companies collect data from shoppers. For example, there's Bluetooth beacons on your phones that, you know, they can track you while you're in the store. And there's apps with location data to, you know, membership cards, third-party trackers on websites, and more. And just for those of you who are wondering, the Bluetooth beacons are designed to understand how the store is laid out. And I'm not saying that I'm necessarily okay with this, but for the record, I feel like a lot of people have this idea that like companies are tracking you just for the sake of tracking you. Like let's collect as much data as we can just because we can. They want to do something with that data. 
And in this case, what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out, like, if you walk into the store and they've got a display set up about this new sale, are most people just walking right past the display? Are people, like, wandering around and leaving without buying anything because they can't find what they're looking for? Stuff like that. That's not to say this is, again, this is not saying this isn't a privacy issue, but... That's why. And then, of course, like membership cards, you put in your phone number, they can track your spending habits. Anyways, Kroger in particular, because again, that's who the article focused on, says in their privacy policy that data is only used as needed. But then it goes on to state a wide variety of data collected, like health-related information, demographic data, biometric data, and behavioral inferences. Clearly, there's a lot more going on here than just figuring out if their sales display is effective, and that's very, very concerning. So again, this is probably not news to more of our veteran listeners, but... It could be a a good refresher, especially if you've ever looked into this before, or if you want to share it with your friends and family and be like, hey, you know, here's what your grocery store is collecting on you. Like, I know you say you got nothing to hide, but are you sure you're comfortable with that? All right. A researcher tried to buy mental health data and found it was surprisingly easy. The research, conducted over the span of two months at Duke University Sanford School of Public Policy, consisted of asking 37 data brokers for bulk data on people's mental health. 11 of them agreed to sell information that identified people by issues, including depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder, and often sorted them by demographic information such as age, race, credit score, and location. Some of the brokers were particularly cavalier with sensitive data. One made no demands on how information it sold was used and advertised that it could offer names and addresses of people with depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety issues, panic disorder, cancer, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and personality disorder, as well as individuals who have had strokes and data on their races and ethnicities. While prices for rented and sold mental health records varied widely, some firms offered them for cheap, as low as $275 for information on 5,000 people, which works out to... It's it's about uh, six cents per person, (laughs) so uh, all your mental health is worth six cents. (laughs) It's good to know that my issues that destroyed my life for half a decade are worth six cents. Um, And of course, again, no regulation over this. But I'm sure that the economy will figure itself out as it's doing Yeah, the free market will figure it out. Yeah, the market is going to figure it out, guys. Don't worry. All right. And with that political thought, we'll move into politics. Uh, We're going to start off with a quick update. Apple faces their fourth iPhone privacy lawsuit after a Gizmodo story. I just, I got to quote this article because it's so passive aggressive. I love it. Uh, quote, Apple is famous for breaking records and apparently it's just as competitive when it comes to getting sued. The company was just hit with a fourth class action lawsuit over accusations of surreptitious iPhone data collection. Three of those lawsuits were filed in January alone. Impressive, unquote. This is again what I was referencing earlier. Apple, for those who missed it, it's somewhere in your settings that says that, uh, you know, you're opting out of like submitting personal data for advertising, I believe. And basically late last year, some researchers found that they completely ignore that setting and they still submit the data anyways. And it actually includes enough data that it can identify. I think it includes your Apple ID or something like it's it's data that's identifiable. So there's really no excuse for that. And now Apple is getting a ton of lawsuits over it. Next up is from Canada, Quebec. You can now act to freeze your credit files. So they've been waiting almost 20 years, but credit freezes are finally arriving, though only in Quebec, thanks to Credit Assessment Agents Act passed in October of 2020. As of February 1st this year, which was about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, um, the residents are able to place security freezes with the credit bureaus. So if you're not currently shopping around for new credit, put aside a couple hours, contact Equifax and TransUnion. Today I learned that you have two of the same credit bureaus that we have in the States, and freeze your file for free. You don't know who might be trying to do something nefarious with their data until they do. 
Those in the rest of Canada, today's a good day as any other to contact their representatives because you are not as lucky. Just to outline here for people in Canada, freezing your credit does not impact your credit score. The only impact a credit freeze has is it prevents you from being able to open anything new or any new line of credit on your card. So if you want to open a new credit card or you want to get a new auto loan and, and they're going to pull your credit, they're not going to be able to pull your credit. So all you have to do when you freeze your credit is you unfreeze your credit before you open anything. And then when you get whatever you need, you get your car, you get your credit card, you relock or refreeze your credit. That's it. That's all a credit freeze is. It's not scary. It's not intimidating. It should be the default of how credit works. Next up, we have great news out of Belgium. The headline says Belgium launches nationwide safe harbor for ethical hackers. Quoting the article, the Center for Cybersecurity Belgium, or CCB, has announced a mechanism that protects individuals or organizations from prosecution contingent on certain strict conditions being met when they report security vulnerabilities affecting any systems, networks, or applications located in Belgium. The framework applies regardless of whether the vulnerable technologies are owned by private or public sector organizations, unquote. Uh, some of those conditions they mentioned include you have to notify the owner as soon as possible. You have to submit a written report to the CCB. You must act without fraudulent intent or intent to harm. Acting in a necessary and proportionate manner, uh, basically to prove the existence of the vulnerability. So don't go nuclear just to prove that there's a bug. And not publicly disclosing it, disclosing it without the CCB's consent. Uh, the article states that this could potentially be the strongest legal framework for protecting white hats anywhere in the EU. So good job, Belgium. And in Germany, a court says police use of crime data tech is unlawful. Germany's federal constitutional court on Thursday declared as unconstitutional regulations in the states of Hesse and Hamburg, apologies in advance on the pronunciation, that allow police to automatically process personal data using special software to prevent crime. The court ruled that automatic data analysis or interpretation could be justified, but that the seriousness of the possible crimes must be taken into account. The state of Hesse, again, apologies if I don't say that correctly, has until September 30th to rewrite the policies. Hamburg, who has not yet implemented the technology, simply decided to pass on it altogether. And up next, we're going to move into the FOSS section. JMP is on version 6, leaving beta this year, and FOSSI. So JMP lets you send and receive text and picture messages and phone calls through a real phone number right from your computer, tablet, phone, or anything else that has a Jabber client, kind of through XMPP. Among other things, JMP has these features, your phone number on every device, multiple phone numbers, one app, free as in freedom, share one number with multiple people. It's really cool. I actually haven't tested it yet, but it's something I've been meaning to look at. For them, what leaving beta means is primarily that this is their vote of confidence, that JMP and the apps that they develop, such as Chiogram on Android, are ready for widespread use. While there's still improvements to make, they believe that they will be able to be recommended to your friends and family, especially on Android, without reservation. Final pricing, which will take effect later this year, will be about $5 a month USD. Extra international minutes will remain what they are, which can be checked per country on their website. And currently it's about $3 per month, and you can lock in that rate for a while if you sign up now. So maybe I should sign up now. Okay, our next story is a really quick one. It comes from Mulvad. It says Security Audit of Account and Payment Services. Mulvad has worked with Assured AB, who did a three-week audit of Mulvad's account and payment services in November of 2022 and found only a few low-rated issues, which were all either fixed or known and intentional. Uh, there's details in the article. They're low-rated, so we kind of didn't want to go through all of them. And again, most of them have been fixed or they already know about them and there's a reason they do it. Kudos to Mulvad for always trying to do better. LibreWolf, the open-source Firefox fork, apparently was leaking information about visited URLs to systemd journal logs 
which raised some privacy concerns. So this is one of those that uh, we wanted to get ahead of it before uh, the FUD starts getting out there and everyone starts freaking out and being crazy like they do in the privacy world. Uh, So someone noticed that LibreWolf, which is a popular Firefox fork, which apparently Nate uses, is leaking information about visited URLs to the log files in systemd Linux distributions. So this is specific to Linux and it's specific to people who use systemd on Linux distributions. This happened if it pulled a JavaScript error. And this also applied within private browsing sessions as well. Systemd is present on many popular distros like Ubuntu, Fedora, and even Cubes, and this issue does not seem to present on vanilla Firefox, so it's a LibreWolf-specific problem. But, here's the but, in the few hours it took for the story to hit uh, like popular RSS feeds, uh, it was already fixed. So this issue is now fixed. Um, bugs happen in code. Uh, I personally don't really use LibreWolf, but this isn't for me, a reason to tell people to stop using it. Um, so I'm sure you have your own thoughts on this because you actually use LibreWolf. No, I think that's about it. Um, so I was first alerted to the story. Uh, people were actually talking about it in my matrix room. And some people were arguing that like this is just how browsers work and how systems work is it logs an error. Um, I'll be honest. I was like super busy. I'd just gotten on the computer. I was like catching up with stuff. So I, I didn't really see the full discussion. But then when I saw the issue actually pop up in my RSS feed and I took a closer look at it, Um, that's kind of what the developer did is originally they closed it because they were like, oh, this is an issue I already know about, but then they reopened it because they looked at it closer and they're like, oh, wait a minute. I, I misread this. This is a different issue. And they're like, yeah, you're right. We need to fix this. And like, yeah, like I put in the notes here between me opening my computer and seeing this discussion and seeing it in my RSS feed. And then just a few hours later, I was putting this in the show notes and like, I was looking at the issue in GitLab and I already saw like a fixed tag had been applied like two hours earlier. So in just a few hours, they had like noted this issue, pushed a merge request, and fixed it. I don't think I've gotten an update recently, but I'm assuming it's going to come out in the next update whenever that is. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just – I'm really impressed how well they handled that. Okay. With that, we'll move into Misfits, and we're going to start with Hyundai and Kia being forced to update software on millions of vehicles because of a viral TikTok challenge. So finally, we have a useful TikTok challenge. Yay. They were posting instructional videos about how to bypass the vehicle's security system using tools, in some cases as simple as a USB cable. The thefts are reportedly easy to pull off because many 2015 to 2019 Hyundai and Kia vehicles lack electronic immobilizers that prevent thieves from simply breaking in and bypassing the ignition. The feature is standard equipment on nearly all vehicles from the same period made by other manufacturers. Hyundai and its subsidiary Kia are offering to update the theft alarm software logic to extend the length of the alarm sound from 30 seconds to one minute. The vehicles will also be updated to require a key in the ignition switch to turn the vehicle on. Remember, we have uh, cars these days are really computers on wheels. Everything's digital nowadays. and That means it comes with bugs. If it gets updates, make sure it gets, you know, especially with something as expensive as a car, make sure you're buying something that gets freaking updates and uh, make sure you keep those updates applied. Whistleblowers, take note. Don't trust cropping tools. So this is sharing mainly so people know, beware. Um, It is in fact possible to uncrop images and documents across a variety of work-related computer applications. Among the suites that include the ability are Google Workspace, Microsoft Office, and Adobe Acrobat. Official instruction manuals, help pages, and promotional materials may mention that cropping is reversible, but this documentation at times fails to note that these operations are reversible by any viewers of a given image or document. What this means is let's say uh, you edit a photo using Google Workspace, download it to your computer, send it to your friend on Signal. It might be possible, depending on how the cropping was done and what kind of data is retained, 
that they might be able to undo the crop. It really depends on how it's stored. So with something like Signal, if you crop an image in Signal and then download that, that is irreversible. So it really depends on the implementation of how this cropping is done. Our last story says how a little-known iPhone feature is opening the door for cyberstalkers. And again, this is one of those things that we're sharing to make you guys aware. So there's a little-known feature on all iOS devices called Wi-Fi Sync which essentially allows for a backup of the device to regularly be downloaded onto a nearby computer over a Wi-Fi connection. For most, this is a legitimately useful feature if you are worried about losing or damaging your device. Providing a solid solid external backup that isn't just the cloud without the need to physically plug in your phone or your computer every day to create it. You just set it up once and it will continue to back up the entirety of your data every 24 hours until the feature is disabled. Sounds great, right? Unfortunately, this ease of setup and lack of maintenance makes it the perfect target for spyware providers and cyber stalkers. The solution offered by spyware providers requires the stalker to have access to the target device to set up the connection to set the connection up but after that the target device will provide a full backup to the computer using the same wi-fi network an application on the computer then reads the backup and packages up all the information into a clear report for the stalker nothing needs to be installed on the phone itself which makes it very difficult to detect as far as the phone is concerned it is just performing a routine backup unquote the article goes on to give some examples of data that could be pulled using this method it could include all sms and text messages sent and received including deleted messages Photos, website history, call logs, messages from other apps like Tinder and WhatsApp, and location data. Very concerning, and uh, I guess if you think there's a possibility you might be victim to this, go ahead and check your iPhone settings. All right, and now we're in the q and I'm like I'm struggling, but I'm, I'm going to make it. So Riddick, what is your view on cookies for most websites, and how do you – oh, first off, before I even finish this, our Q&A, these are all from our patrons – so if you want to ask us questions, join our Patreon down in the description. But Riddick asked, what is our view on cookies for most websites and how do you personally handle cookies? Is it worth the time to perform extra clicks to reject cookies? Second question. All right, well, I'll just answer that one. No, I don't like cookie banners. Even before I, I normally use Brave, even before Brave rolled out native, uh, the support to natively hide those cookie banners and auto dismiss them and click no to them, um, there was actually a filter within Brave that you can manually apply that did this. I think it's like it uses UBO's annoyances list or something like that. It's like easy list cookies or something like that. Yeah. So you could, yeah, it was something like that. Or you can also use UBO to do this if you install UBO on top of Brave. Uh, So yeah, I've never been a fan. I always found ways to get rid of those. Um, Are you content with the privacy policy of Patreon? Not really. Uh, We use Patreon because it's what like a lot of people use and it's what a lot of people even ask for. And so, yeah, like we're not happy with it, which is why we offer things like LibraPay and Monero for people who also don't enjoy the privacy policy of Patreon. Though I will say for us, like our Patreon and everything that we do financially except Monero is still tied to us. So like there's not much privacy benefit for us to use LibraPay instead of Patreon. It's still linked to like actual bank accounts with actual information. So uh, different concerns for us as creators as you guys have uh, for as being patrons. Favorite RSS reader for Linux and Android? I guess I'll go in reverse order since you started with that one. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never used one on Android, to be totally honest with you, so I can't answer that. Uh, if anybody in the comments has any suggestions, feel free. Uh, for Linux, <laughs> I use Fire, uh, Thunderbird because it works. It works just fine. I don't have any issues with it. It's open source. I'm familiar with it. And I also use it for email. So it's just everything right there in a convenient location for me. Again, if anyone has any better suggestions, feel free because I don't care. My memory just came back. I did... When I was using Android, I was using Feeder. I think I've heard so, of that one. Yeah, Feeder was like what I was using. I didn't like do a huge comparison. It's just I tried it out and I liked it, so I used Feeder. I think that's from Android. And that's yeah, that's why I said just now I was like, if you know, if anyone has suggestions, leave them in the comments because I don't care. Like I don't care in the sense of like it's not like I'm sitting here like oh Thunderbird Master Race. Like I don't care. 
it just, it works for me. And I'm sure there's other ones out there that are prettier. Like Thunderbird is really not that pretty. I know they're working on that. We just talked about that last week, but I, I accept that. I'm sure there's other ones out there that have cool features that look better, that do this, that do that. Um, for me, it does what I need and I don't really care what it looks like. So that's why I use it. But yeah, if anyone has any suggestions of like things that look better or have cooler features, by all means, um, leave them in the comments. Uh, privacy policy of Patreon, you nailed that one. Like, no, I'm not really content with it either, but yeah, for, and, and that's, that's why for the record, that was my idea to suggest LibrePay for that very reason. And then last but not least cookies. Yeah. Cookies. I have my browser set to automatically delete everything on close. Um, I, on windows, I have storage sense enabled on both windows and Linux. I run bleach bit about once a week. And, uh, is it worth the time to perform extra clicks to reject cookies? In my opinion, no. Um, I would just use either uBlock or Brave to just go ahead and block the banner entirely. And the reason I say that, legally speaking, I have this on good authority from someone I trust who knows more than I do. If you don't interact with the cookie banner, they are supposed to treat that the same as a reject. So in my opinion, if you don't interact with it, you've rejected it. If you do reject it, you've rejected it. And if they're the kind of people that aren't going to respect a uh, the whole, like, if you don't interact with it, it's supposed to be a reject. If they're not going to respect that in the first place, I don't understand why I would trust them to respect a reject, an overt reject as well. So in, in my opinion, you may as well just block them and not interact with them and hope that they're going to respect that. And then also I just have to throw in, in my opinion, like cookies are not really like the best way to track people anymore. I'd be much more worried about things like browser fingerprinting, IP addresses, stuff like that. So maybe not even IP addresses, just browser fingerprinting. That's the big thing these days. Okay, our next question comes from a non-patron. In Surveillance Sport 120, you talked about not buying a whole phone. Uh, that was me. <laughs> you talked about not buying a whole phone with a custom software pre-installed. Do you feel the same about Calyx and their option to buy a Pixel phone with their OS pre-installed? So I mentioned in the past that, in my opinion, you shouldn't buy a pre-flashed phone. And I'm glad you asked this. I, I do think the exception would be if it comes directly from the provider. So Calyx, for example, since that's who you asked about, if they offer, if you uh, donate a certain amount, they will send you a pre-flashed phone. And for the record, I asked them in the past why they were selling, because it used to be like a, what was it, like a Pixel 3a or a 4 or something like that. It was like a really outdated version. And they said the reason they were doing that was because it was the only one that they could guarantee a supply chain for. Uh, I think since then, they've actually bumped it up to a 6a. So that's a lot better. That's a lot more recent. But yeah, and same with other OSs. If you go to uh, a store, I think, what was the one you reviewed recently? Yoda? Like them and there's others that do it. And in the future, if there were other OSs that were like, hey, we've partnered with somebody. This is an official endorsement. We are officially offering this phone. In that case, I would argue it's probably safe to do because you're already trusting them with the OS anyways. If they're going to lie about the phone and the manufacturing and the hardware, they're probably lying about other things and you shouldn't be using them. So at that point, in my opinion, you're still trusting the same person or at least you're still getting that same seal of, you should trust us for this reason. So if you trust them with the OS and they're officially partnering with someone, I would go ahead and trust them in that case. I'm talking more like third party. Yeah, next one is from Sam M. What are the risks and benefits of using the built-in 2FA feature in Bitwarden as opposed to using a separate 2FA app like Rivo or Aegis for iOS? Is the convenience of using Bitwarden's built-in 2FA worth the potential risks if Bitwarden is ever hacked or compromised? Additionally, what steps can individuals take to increase the security of their Bitwarden account, such as using a strong and unique master password and enabling 2FA with a separate application? So, Real quick, seeing... before you answer this one, I recently found out it's pronounced Aegis. Okay, cool. 
Well, well, that's ages then is how we're going to do it. Um, so this is kind of like, <laughs> so this is two questions that I'm seeing. Um, the first one is what are the risks of using 2FA inside of Bitwarden? Um, so generally the reason why fundamentally you want to keep 2FA separate from your password manager is because passwords are supposed to be something you know, and your 2FA is supposed to be something you have. And so when you combine those two things in the same place, you're now effectively kind of, you're putting your eggs in one basket. The reason why I don't think it's terrible is because generally the risks that come along with passwords comes from data breaches and things of that nature. You're much more likely to be caught, like one one of your accounts gets a data breach, and if you reuse the same password, they're going to use it for a different account. Or let's just say you have a Google account and your Google account is breached, and now your password is online. Now, even if you have 2FA inside of your Bitwarden account, you're still protected. So the real issue with keeping 2FA inside a password manager just comes down to if Bitwarden is ever breached, and for whatever reason their end-to-end encryption is bypassed, which would be very hard to do, um, then now everyone has everything about you. So in that sense, yes, it's always more secure to have 2FA separate from your password manager because it's now making things a little bit harder for someone. But also, I feel like that is still better than not having any 2FA because generally the risks of 2FA are things from data breaches and more common attacks that will still be mitigated by using 2FA inside your password manager. And the second question, what steps can individuals take to increase the security of their Bitwarden account? It's just like any other account. Um, You can use 2FA, TOTP, or YubiKey uh, with your Bitwarden account. And of course, don't make it your Bitwarden account to secure it. So don't use 2FA inside Bitwarden to lock down your Bitwarden account. I don't know if they even allow that, but if they do, (laughs) hopefully they don't. Um, I don't know how they would enforce that though without having some like creative workarounds. But either way, um, have your own separate TOTP app to get into Bitwarden. Ideally, something like Passkeys or YubiKey. I think they support that. That's really about it. Try to keep your email that you use to log into Bitwarden a different one from everything else. And have a strong password in your Bitwarden account. There's not much else to recommend there. Avoid third-party services that might hook into Bitwarden in an insecure way or anything like that. Try to stick with official stuff. And that's about all I can recommend. All right, and that is it for the week. If you wanted to ask a question, anything that is appropriate, uh, definitely join our Patreon. It's down in the description, and you might be one of the uh, questions that we answer next week. Uh, We normally answer, as of right now, we're answering pretty much every question. Um, But if we get, like, too many, then we might have to limit them. But still, like, definitely go ahead and ask us a question. It's kind of a cool opportunity. We don't have many questions yet, so yours will probably be featured. Um, and that's it for the week. Again, Twitter is dropping SMS2FA for free users. Apple and Google have some updates. Supermarkets have data on you. JMP is leaving beta and a lot more. Again, I just talked about our Patreon. I think I've done that enough today. So uh, go ahead and join our Patreon if you're interested. If not, we do support LibraPay as a more private way to contribute to what we do. And if you want the most private way to contribute to what we do, we also we also support Monero as well. All of those are down in the description. Thank you for listening to the Surveillance Report. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share the podcast around, make sure you're subscribed, and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can directly help us do that by sharing the word of privacy. Share a story that you resonated with that maybe someone else will find interesting, and get them hooked on this podcast, because I think that would make everyone safer. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.